Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. A famous dead theologian has, has said that man's heart is a perpetual idol factory. And what he meant by that is that the sinful tendencies that we have will cause us, when we don't have our desires and our satisfaction fixed on the Lord, it causes us to then turn our gaze from our Lord to created things to find those desires satisfied. And we make idols, idols that take the very place of God to meet our desires met. This passage that we will look at this morning will talk about the idolatrous desires of the two wives of Jacob. And even the passiveness of Jacob in this. But the wonderful thing is, despite all the sin and the, the rivalry and the jealousy that happens because of these idolatrous desires clashing, because God blesses these wives in different ways and both are not satisfied in those blessings and they're looking for more. And even as there's rivalry and jealousy happening between these wives, what we see is God is still gracious. God still blesses them despite their sinful attitudes and sinful actions. And then even beyond that, God is fulfilling his promises to Jacob. Where he said, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And really from this section, through all the sin that we see, the 12 sons that are born through four women become then eventually the 12 tribes of Israel. And finally, God's promised plan is continuing to move forward. So here again, we see a lot of sin. In fact, I don't know if you picked up even as you read this passage, but it is as messy as can be. It's far worse than any soap opera, in fact. I mean, you can make this up. And yet, this is reality, and this is the, the, you know, the Bible doesn't shy away from the sinfulness of his people. And yet, what it does is, by highlighting the sinfulness of his people, it further magnifies the grace of God. It further magnifies how good and great this God is, And how undeserving his people. I've titled this morning's sermon as the birth of Jacob's sons. Which eventually will be the 12 tribes of Israel as I've said. And we'll look at this section under two headings. We'll look at the hated wife in verses 31 to 
34 of Genesis, or 35 rather, of Genesis 29. And then the warring sisters in chapter 30 and verses 1 through 24. And we'll look at how in this mess of sin, God still blesses his people and he still moves his plan forward. So firstly, the hated wife in verses 31 to 35 of Genesis 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now some translations here have it as that Rachel was unloved. And so then, when you see that translation, you might get the sense that it's some sort of neglect. But really, the, the word in the original, it's a much more stronger word. It is more in line with the word hate, in the sense of despising, in the sense of resentment. So it's not just a lack of a positive, a lack of love, but it's the presence of a negative. There's a despising, there's a resentment there for Jacob. If you're thinking now, why would Jacob despise or, or resent Leah so much? Well, if you remember from what we saw uh, in the previous episode, Jacob never intended to marry Leah. He only wanted Rachel. Rachel, the one who was physically attractive, the one he was physically attracted to, even though you know, he wasn't quite thinking about where his character was, where her character was. But we saw how he was deceived, and he got Leah on that first night when the marriage bed was consummated as his first wife. So now every time he looks at Leah, Jacob is reminded how he was played the fool. He's reminded perhaps even of how, you know, Leah too would have had her part to play in that deception. And then on top of that, now he has to serve another seven years under Laban. So thinking of all this and thinking of how even Leah was involved in the deception, he despises Leah and he resents Leah. You know, when you think about Jacob and what he's doing, regardless of whether or not he wanted to marry Leah, the reality is he is married to Leah. And so it's never right for a husband to despise his wife. Never. Now people around may think, oh Leah, yeah, yeah, she was involved with you know, along with her father, she was in this deception. And on that first day of the wedding night when Jacob was thinking he was getting Rachel, she was part of that deception. Serves her right now. You know, serves her right. You know, Jacob should treat her as the outcast. Jacob should resent her. Jacob should despise her. That's what maybe even people would have said. 
But you know the wonderful thing about the God of the Bible? Is often the God of the Bible, he sees and cares for the unwanted and the unloved and the outcasts and the rejected and the afflicted. Like with Hagar, the first time she ran away because Sarah was treating her harshly. Similarly, here God mercifully and graciously cares for Leah, who was despised by her husband, and blesses her and opens her womb. Now verse 32 says, And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Now the name Reuben, it means essentially look a son or see a son. That's what Reuben means. And now she goes on to explain why she's named her firstborn son Reuben or look a son. The text says, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. So she's recognizing that it is the Lord, it is Yahweh, the the covenant-keeping God, that has seen my affliction and has provided me a son. So what you see here is Leah certainly certainly has some measure of faith where she acknowledges the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, and acknowledges it is He who has seen her, or He who has looked on her, has seen her, and provided her with this son in her affliction. But you know, it's also sad to see her in this situation. Because amidst this, you can see her hopes after having this son. Look at what the text says again, verse 32. Now that she's had the son, she's called his name Reuben. For now, my husband will love me. Sad, isn't it? You know, she hopes that now that she's had a son, maybe now my husband will love me. But it doesn't happen. Verse 33. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Now it says, because the Lord has heard. So it would seem like now Leah is, has been praying and seeking the Lord. And the Lord has heard her in her unloved state, in her hated, despised state. And she conceives again, and so she names her son Simeon, which comes from the word which means hear. You know, if, you, if you've heard the term Shema, you know, from Deuteronomy 6, Shema, Simeon, they, they are cognates. It comes from that word. So the first son, Rachel says, the, uh, pardon me, Leah says, the Lord has seen me in my affliction and given me a son. And now with Simeon, he says, She says, the Lord has heard me now. He has heard my cries in my affliction and has given me a son. But Jacob still does not love her. Verse 34. Again, 
She conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. Now the name Levi comes from the word that means attached. So she's thinking, Leah's thinking, I've, I've given this man three sons. So at least this time around, my husband will be attached to me and he will begin to love me. But Jacob does no such thing. He remains attached only to Rachel. Verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. So it's like Leah is saying, you know, all this time I've tried hard to win over my husband to love me. But nothing has changed. And I'm going to stop trying to gain my husband, to try and make my husband love me, at least temporarily in the case of Leah. And she simply praises the Lord for his blessing. And so she names her fourth son Judah, which means praise. And the implication, may the Lord be praised. And then the last bit says, then she sees bearing. Now this could mean two things. One of the two things. It could either mean that after this she has become barren for some time. Or it could mean, and I lean more towards this, although I can't be dogmatic, that she sees bearing children because Jacob stopped visiting her altogether on the insistence of Rachel. And that will become clear as we go later on in the passage. So it would seem more so in that direction that, you know, because of Rachel's insistence, now Jacob has altogether stopped visiting Leah and she has ceased to bear children. What a difficult situation for Leah, isn't it? Hated by her husband. But you know what the interesting thing is? As you, as you look at these verses, God doesn't necessarily change her situation. You don't see Jacob loving Leah. And yet, there is another way in which God still blesses Leah with children. And there's a sense in which Leah is beginning to understand something because obviously having four children means a few years have passed. She has learned something, although she will fail later on. It would seem like even though at the start, from the start, she has some faith in the Lord, calls on the name of the Lord. God sees, God, uh, God has heard me. 
By the time she comes to the fourth one, all along she's been saying, maybe my husband will love me. Maybe my husband will love me. But by the fourth time, she, said, you know, she understands, I, I can't make my husband love me. And so what does she do? She simply gives it all to the Lord and she praises God for who he is and recognizes the blessing that she's been given by the Lord and thanks him for that. Because she recognizes that God cares and sees her and hears her. Maybe there's someone sitting here this morning who's desperately wanting somebody to love you. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a parent. Or somebody else that you, know, you hold in very high regard. But you haven't received it from that person and life is hard for you. Brother, sister, if you are in this, I don't want to minimize your pain. But I also want to lovingly tell you that if you are looking for that person to fulfill your love, that will never happen. You have to believe that the God of the Bible loves you way more than that other person. And that is all that is needed. And that will make all the difference in your life. It might not necessarily take away the pain entirely, but it will change your perspective entirely. What you see here is that even as Leah has had this desire, and it's a good desire, she's finally come to the point where at least temporarily, she is now giving it over to the Lord and saying, Lord, you are my everything. And I know you care for me. You hear me. You see me. Praise be to you for the blessings that I have now. And I'm not focusing on what I do not have. So the hated wife, Leah, bears four sons from Jacob. Now this takes us to the next section, which is a rivalry that's now going to happen between Leah and her sister, who are both wives of Jacob. And that's in the next chapter, Genesis 30 and verses 1 through 24. 30 and verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. If you notice back in Genesis 29, 31, just as we started, 
How did, how did that section start? When the Lord saw. And so here now, the focus is on when Rachel saw. The focus on this section is on Rachel and what she wants to do. Where she will take things into her own hands and not depending on the Lord. She's not depending on the Lord in her difficulty. In fact, unlike the previous section, there is no mention of the Lord, the covenant name of Yahweh. So it's even possible that Rachel has no faith in the Lord, unlike Leah. So that's even possible. Nonetheless, Rachel also has a difficulty in her life. If for Leah it is the lack of love for her husband, but Rachel has that blessing. For Rachel, it's the exact opposite. She has no children with her husband, like Leah does, but she has the love of her husband. And because she has no children, she envies Leah because of all the children she has with Jacob. She's now focused on what she doesn't have, the blessings that she doesn't have. So she says to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. See, in those days it was a shameful thing if you couldn't bear children. And it's interesting that she says, Give me children or I shall die, because eventually over time she will have children. She will have two boys. And with the birth of a second child, she will die giving birth. So Rachel too is in this painful situation. Because she wants to have children like her sister Leah. And so she demands children from Jacob in her pain. And Jacob is also not gentle with Rachel in his response. Look at verse 2. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? I mean, the irony of this statement in some sense, although he is theologically correct in what he is saying, that he is not God, that only God can provide children, I mean, this is Jacob the schemer, right? We've already seen him. The guy who's always scheming and always can do things. He's that go-getter kind of person. And yet, you know, in this desperate situation, he realizes, woman, I cannot do anything about this. This is the Lord's doing. And I wonder if, even though, you know, Jacob has a long way to go, God is slowly teaching him to depend on the Lord. And yet, Jacob also has a long way to go. And if you think about Jacob, in one sense, Jacob should have known better. Because if you remember his own father, Isaac, he prayed and waited on the Lord when his mother, Rebekah, was barren. You remember that? But you don't see Jacob doing that. Jacob is not leading his home spiritually. 
And when there's no spiritual direction in the home, we tend to take things into our own hands. Neither Rachel nor Jacob seeks the Lord in the difficulty. So what does Rachel do? She resorts to the same pagan custom of the day, just like Sarah did with Hagar and how Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham. Now Rachel gives her servant Bilhah to Jacob to have children. Because the custom of the day was if a wife cannot have children with her husband, she could take one of her servants and give that servant to her husband to have children through her. And those children would become the primary wife's children. That was the custom of the day. Now again, here, if, if Jacob was being the spiritual leader, he could have said, no, this is not right. We will just wait on the Lord. Besides, he could have even said, you know, when my grandparents, Abraham and Sarah, they took things into their own hands and they brought this maidservant Hagar into their midst to have a child. It resulted in all kinds of problems. You know those Ishmaelites? That's come out of that. But Jacob doesn't say any of that. He's passive. He's not leading his home. And things are only going to get worse. Verse 3 onward. Then she said, that's talking about Rachel, then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then, Jacob, then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Now the name Dan means judgment or, or vindication. So essentially, Rachel is saying, God has vindicated me in my struggle with my sister. I also have a child now for myself through my servant. God has vindicated me. Verse 7 and 8. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So he called his name Naphtali. So Rachel names the second son through her servant as Naphtali. Naphtali means wrestlings. Meaning she wrestled with her sister. A baby war of sorts. And she's won. She's prevailed. I mean, this is such a sad situation, right, in Jacob's home? I mean, first he had two wives. Now a third wife is brought in or a concubine is brought in. And the children that are being born through this servant, unlike the names that Leah gave, at least there was some acknowledgement, some direction towards the Lord. These two names that Rachel has given only bolster the conflict between the two sisters. She doesn't even name the name of Yahweh. 
I mean, think of those names. The first one, I'm vindicated. Vindicated in what regard? With my struggle with my sister. Imagine a name like that. And then the other, wrestling. Naphtali. Why? Because again, it'll point to the kind of wrestling match the sisters had. This is a sad situation and it also shows how not so spiritually minded Rachel is in comparison to Leah. Now seeing what Rachel has been up to, Leah also now responds in the flesh. She responds in kind. She doesn't act like how she did previously. She's kind of sucked into this baby war with Rachel. And it's almost like, you know, Leah is saying, Oh no, you don't beat me in this game. I can play this game too. And I'm going to give my servant to Jacob now. Verse 9. When Leah saw. So first it was the Lord saw. Rachel saw. Now, when Leah saw, she's going to take things into her own hands. That she had seized bearing children. She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Again, like I said before, Leah seizing to bear children could either mean she's barren or, you know, or, or more so pointing toward the fact that Jacob stopped visiting Leah on Rachel's insistence. And so Leah now gives Zilpah to, okay, I can't, my husband won't come to me, I'm going to give my servant Zilpah to my husband. Verse 10 to, 12, to 13. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she calls his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she named so she called his name Asher. So the first son through Leah's servant Zilpah is named Gad. Gad means good fortune. And meaning uh, not in a pagan sort of way, I don't think, given the focus that Leah has. It more so has the more likely that God has brought about good fortune or God, God has brought about a good thing. Second son, Asher, it means happy or blessed. It's the same word. Like in Psalm 1, blessed is the man, it's that same word. So while Leah takes things into her own hands, at the very least she's acknowledging God in the sense that she's blessed by God and God has brought about this good thing. So Rachel thought she was going to get the upper hand by giving the servant and preventing Leah from being with Jacob. But now Leah also has two sons through a servant and the rivalry continues and things only get worse when you thought it couldn't get any worse. Verse 14. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went, now Reuben, the oldest son of Leah, he's at least a few years old now. And so this, this little boy is wandering into the field during harvest time. 
and he found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now mandrakes there, it's, a, it's the root of a plant. And in those days, mandrakes were thought to be some sort of an aphrodisiac, as well as some sort of plant that would help with infertility issues. So you can think of it as the fertility drug of the day. So Rachel, desperate to still have children, requests to have these mandrakes from Leah. Verse 15. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? So remember, Leah has stopped bearing children. Why? This is where I think this is more... Uh, the reason where Rachel did not allow Jacob to visit Leah anymore. So, Rachel, so Leah is saying, you've taken away my husband. Now you want the mandrakes too? Why should I give that to you? And so Rachel in response says, I'll make a deal with you. You have something I want and I have something you want. Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. I mean, Jacob is literally being sold off as a commodity for his services in the bedroom. There's a term for that. That's how bad things are becoming in this home. And it also points to Jacob's lack of spiritual leadership and his passivity in the home. When you think of all that is taking place, he's just, you know, just shuffled around. In fact, even the naming of names, if you think, it's all the wives that's doing the naming. It's not, Jacob is not doing it. Unlike the previous two patriarchs. Verse 16. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. So what's been highlighted here is that even though Leah did not have the mandrakes, God is the one who is graciously giving Leah another son. It's not the power of mandrakes, but it's the power of God at work to these sinful people. Verse 18. And, and, and the fact that it says God listened to Leah, it would seem to indicate that Leah was also again praying to the Lord. Verse 18. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. So Leah is saying, you know, I've had to give my servant to my husband when I couldn't be with my husband. But now God has given me my recompense, my compensation. He's given me another son through the hiring that I've done. 
You know, Issachar, the name means to hire or, or wages. So in one sense, again, Leah is acknowledging God's involvement. But it's so convoluted. I mean, she's now naming the child as hire or wages. You know, it'll be for the rest of history, reminding people of this hiring business between the two sisters of this husband. Deplorable condition. Verse 19. And Leah conceived again, and she bore forth Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment, and now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. Again, sad, isn't it? She's come back again. She's, she still longs for the love of her husband. So she calls his, the sixth son Zebulun, and it's related to the word endowment or gift, meaning that God has given me this gift. And verse 21 says, after she bore a daughter, she called her name Dinah. Now let's just do a quick count. There are 10 sons so far in total for Jacob. Four sons from Leah. Four sons through two of the servant women. Now two sons again from Leah and a daughter. Rachel still has no children of her own. But God is still gracious. Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. Joseph means something to the effect of may he add. Saying, may the Lord add to me another son. So again, here what you see is, it's not the mandrakes for Rachel, but it's the Lord graciously giving Rachel a son. And there is some acknowledgement here that she may have been praying, and she even recognizes that it is the Lord. But I don't know how full she is in her faith, because it is the same woman when they leave Laban's household where she'll steal the household idols for herself and take her with her. So there's some sort of acknowledgement. So it could be even the fact, you know, like some people will be like, you know, I do all these things, but I have Jesus on the side as well, and he's just this thing on the side to help me with certain things, but uh, difficult to tell where, where she's at. And notice, she gets his son after these years of longing for a son. But as soon as she gets one son, she wants another son. She's not satisfied. You know, two lessons to learn from this section. The first one is this. God chooses to bless his children in a way that he sees best. God chooses to bless his children 
in a way he sees best. See, God's blessings are never earned. It's never deserved. The wonder is that God blesses at all. But he will choose what blessings to give his children. What he thinks is best for his children. And we must never try to take things into our own hands. Never try to, you know, think, okay, if I do this, if I do that, then somehow, you know, I'm going to get God somehow force his hand to bless me now. That's never going to happen. God will choose to bless his children in a way that he sees best. And the second one is this. That while we may desire God's blessings, and there are many, sometimes those desires for God's blessing can become ultimate. So much so that that becomes our ultimate consuming theme. What can some of those desires be? Maybe it's the desire for a spouse or a child. Maybe it's the desire for the love of someone close to you. Maybe it's the desire for a certain kind of family. Maybe it's the desire for a well-paying job or a desire to own a house or, 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 or what, you know, some sort of desire like that. See, none of these desires are bad in of itself. They're good desires. But when those desires become ultimate, such that it rules over our lives, where, where we say, I absolutely need this to make my life whole and for me to be satisfied. Such that our thoughts, our, our fears, our worries, our joys, everything revolve around this one thing or this one person. And I must have this. You know, when our thinking becomes that way, it will invariably cause us to sin. And the funny thing is, even when you finally do get that thing, perhaps if you get that thing even through sinful ways, you will not be ultimately satisfied. There might be some temporary satisfaction, but you'll never be ultimately satisfied and you'll still be left wanting. God and God alone can bring that satisfaction in our lives. No thing, no person can do that for us in an ultimate sense. Everything else we seek after, even after we get it, we will still be found wanting. This is a lesson that God is even slowly teaching Jacob and his family, and particularly Jacob. So now you might ask, but then what, how do I deal with these good desires that I have? What am I supposed to do with them? Well, we present them to the Lord. And we wait on the Lord and trust that He will do that which is best for us. 
Lord, thank you for who you are. And I, I, I'm bringing this request before you, this desire of mine. But then as we bring those desires and those requests, you know, we come with open arms and we say, but I know, Lord, that you will answer me in a way that is best for me. And I rest in that fact. But I thank you again because you are so good and you are so gracious to me. And you will always do only that which is good for me. Because that is how good you are. And that reflects your glory. And that reflects your grace. So help me to continue to grow in my joy and my satisfaction in you and you alone. And the more we keep doing that, you know, even our desires and our prayer life will change too. You know, after this episode, a few years later on, another son will come. And then finally from these 12 sons will come the 12 tribes of Israel. And from that nation, and particularly from the tribe of Judah, yes, from Judah, the son from the hated wife, from the unwanted wife, from the despised wife, not from Rachel, not from the loved wife, but from the unwanted, hated wife, from the line of Judah comes the line of King, where David will come from that line, and ultimately the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, comes from that line. Why did God choose Leah? the hated wife because that's who God is because he's a God who cares and loves and he wants to magnify his grace and even for this hated wife we see sin in her own life and how much more than it magnifies the grace of God friend if you're here listening today and you're not a Christian. You know, perhaps you're living life thinking, you know, if I, you know, if I just get this and, and, and you're striving to get after this or get after that person or get after that particular thing. And once I get there, you know, I would have arrived. Nothing else will matter anymore after that. Friend, I want to tell you, you may get there you may find some sort of satisfaction, a temporal satisfaction, but you will never be ultimately satisfied. You will still be found wanting. And the more those desires creep in your heart, it will cause you to continue to sin, to do things to harm others and to dishonor the God of glory. And let me tell you, friend, the more you go down that path, the more you are condemning yourself. Because this great king will come one day and he will not tolerate anyone who has rejected him or his ways in his presence. They will be cast into the lake of fire. Oh, but this great king is also such a gracious and good king. 
because he laid down his life on that cross 2,000 years ago, coming in the form of a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And he died on that cross for sinful people like you and me, taking your place on that cross and my place on that cross, taking on himself the judgment that was due for sinners like you and me. And then he died on the cross, and then he rose on the third day, conquering sin and conquering death, providing a way by which you can be made right with this great and glorious God, to commune with him, to find your ultimate satisfaction in him, and to live in a way that you were created, to have your desires and all be met in him. Will you not turn to him this day? There is still time for you. The fact that you are sitting here and you are not dead means there is still time for you. For you to turn to the Lord Jesus and see what he has done. And if this day you say, yes, I believe in what the Lord has done for me, I believe in who he is, then I would say, friend, turn from your sin, turn from living for yourself, turn from chasing after the wind that will never satisfy, and keep turning to the Lord Jesus and follow after him, for that is the proof that you are indeed a Christian. For those of us who are believers, I pray that this text would, again, remind us of the glorious God he is and the gracious God he is, a God who cares and loves and hears his children, a God who blesses his children and does what is best for them. May we, as we see that, as we see him for the good and great God, he is, may it cause us to only say, Lord, you are my everything, my joy and my satisfaction and my everything is in you and help me not to turn this way or that way to the things of this world. May his name be glorified. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you do such a awesome work in this world, how you accomplish your plan, how as you continue to accomplish your plan, you are working in the lives of your children, how even in the lives of your children as they sin, you are working in and through that as well, such that you are not in any way tainted by sin, yet you will use all those things to bring you glory and to do that which is good for your children. Lord, we confess so many times we turn to people or things to find our satisfaction in. Oh, when you do bless us, we focus on what we have not been blessed with and envy others, rather than being thankful for all that you have blessed us. Lord, help us to be a people who are focused on you, who find our ultimate satisfaction in you. And even as we do that, no matter how you bless us, Help us to be faithful to the end, even as you keep us to the end. Thank you for listening to our prayer, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.